authority, moral authority. It's a pretty imposing term, isn't it? An individual can have it, institutions, countries can have it. Leadership by example. We can exert influence if we've got our act together. I think one of the greatest moments of moral authority shown by a country, shown by a leader, was this one. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Mr. Gorbachev, the leader of the evil empire, you got all that bad stuff happening in your country. We are not like you. And do the right thing. Tear down this wall. Moral authority. I love it. We in America have lost it. We've lost it. And it really has happened fairly recently. Did you know that the horns guy from January 6th is still in jail? He's still in federal custody. Now, I've watched all the tapes, all the publicly available tapes. You can't find this guy breaking anything, hurting anybody. All he's doing is basically being courteous and, yes, goofy. He's trespassing. He shouldn't be there. But I don't see the problem, actually. Yes, arrest him. Yes, charge him with trespassing. Here, take a look. He didn't want to hurt anybody. This has to be peaceful. We have the right to peacefully assemble. He's emphasizing it. Peaceful, peaceful, peaceful. The fact that we're treating this guy the way we are has reduced, if not canceled, our moral authority. What about Ashley Babbitt, the unarmed Trump supporter who was shot and killed on Capitol Hill on January 6th? Unarmed. No one's asking questions about this. We're going to keep asking questions and keep highlighting her story because it's un-American. What's happening here is awful, and we're starting to pay the price. We are. We're paying the price on the international stage because of what happened on January 6th. Not so much what happened, but what happened in the aftermath. Yeah, it was a riot. It got out of hand, and glass was broken, and people were trespassing. But we've thrown people in jail for months and months and months. That is not American. That does happen in places like Russia. That did happen in places like the Soviet Union. Now, they were all Trump supporters, as you know, all right? They were all pretty much on the right politically. If you're on the left politically, you can break, loot, and do whatever you want. And here in New York, at least, we'll say, no problem. Now, you remember the looting here. You saw it. It was awful. Uh, it was a joke, actually. It was a joke. Well, some people were arrested, charged, but guess what? Now we have heard from the authorities that all is forgiven, all is forgotten, all will be expunged from the records. Yes, charges dropped for hundreds of alleged looters in New York City. You know who's watching, you know who's noticing all this stuff? Our adversaries, China, you may remember a couple of months ago, they called us out. Who are you to talk about our human rights when you've got your situation in your country? Vladimir Putin, just the other day in Geneva. One of the participants, a woman, was shot dead on the spot. She was not threatening with, uh, you know, with arms or anything. Vladimir Putin is 100% right. Now we don't have moral authority. We have these huge problems and we are not acknowledging them. And he can needle us. He can use it as leverage. So can the Chinese. This is bad stuff. We're supposed to have our own house in order. And we don't.
And by the way, they used to say, oh, Donald Trump, uh, he canceled our moral authority. Donald Trump ruined our, no, he didn't. They just had to come up with a new way to describe how they didn't like him. They had to intellectualize their grievances with Donald Trump. He did not squander our moral authority. If anything, he enhanced it. He enhanced it. Folks, somebody who did lose their moral authority, remember Sheldon Whitehouse? He's a Democrat from Rhode Island. I'll never forget the nasty approach he had with then-Judge Kavanaugh. And did the word, Ralph, you used in your I already, yearbook said, I already answered alcohol. the question. If you're, yeah, yeah, you don't relate to alcohol. I like you beer. Answered that. I like beer. I don't know if you do. Okay. Do you like beer, Senator, or not? Um, what do you like to drink? Next one is... Senator, what do you like judge, to drink? Judge, have you... I don't know if it's boofed or boofed. How do you pronounce that? Judge. That refers to flatulence. We were 16. All right. He was really terrible, Sheldon Whitehouse, that day. And now we found out something about Sheldon Whitehouse. He's a member of a beach club that apparently... Uh, isn't very friendly to people of color. Back in 2017, you had expressed concerns about the membership of the all-white Bailey's Beach Club, said that you hoped it would become more diverse. Now, your family's been members. Your wife is one of the largest shareholders. Has there been any traction in that? Are there any minority members of the club now? I think the people who are running the place are still working on that, and I'm sorry it hasn't happened yet. Um, do you have concerns in 2021? I mean, obviously, it's been four years. You had remarks on the floor following the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd saying, you know, hoping to root out systemic racism in the country. Um, your thoughts on an elite, all-white, wealthy club, again, in this day and age, um, you know, should these clubs continue to exist? It's a long tradition in Rhode Island, and there are many of them. Uh, I think we just need to work our way through the issues. Thank you. Oh, ho, ho. he just got nailed. He just got nailed as a total phony, huh? Talking about systemic racism, and he's in an all-white club and shaming Judge Kavanaugh like that. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. You know what I like? Authenticity and candor. Quite frankly, I miss it. We got a lot of it from Donald Trump. And we got a little bit more this weekend. He wished everybody a happy Father's Day, but he did it in his own way. Happy Father's Day to all, including the radical left, rhinos, and other losers of the world. Hopefully, eventually, everyone will come together. Oh, my goodness. How could he call somebody a loser when he's... Oh. There was a time where I was like kind of... But I am okay with it now. In fact, I like it. Because so many of these politicians are phonies. You just saw one. The classic politician says one thing to one person and another to somebody else. You ever see The Godfather, part two? Senator Geary from Nevada, watch this. Mike, Pat, okay, stand up, please. Stand up, let the folks see you. Folks, I want you to join with me in giving a real Nevada thank you Yeah, all smiles, just like a politician. But later, same day, that's the boys' first Holy Communion. Behind closed doors, when the men talk business, what's the senator's attitude then? I don't like your kind of people. I don't like to see you come out to this clean country in your oily hair, dressed up in those silk suits, and try to pass yourselves off as decent Americans. I'll do business with you, but the fact is that 
I despise your masquerade, the dishonest way you pose yourself, yourself and your whole family. Ooh, should not have brought the family into that. Senator Gary should not be talking like that to Michael. He'll come to regret it later in the movie. A lot of great stuff coming up. Stay with us. Real heroes. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. Newsmax, where real news for real people. Millions are turning off the old channels. And switching to Newsmax, the fastest growing cable news channel in America. No agenda. No spin. Just the facts. Millions watch us. So can you. Newsmax, we are real news for real people. Have you checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson? You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. Oh, boy. Did that Colin Kaepernick ruin sports for the entire planet? Yeah, now everybody is taking a knee. <laughs> Even soccer games overseas in England and beyond taking a knee in support of Black Lives Matter. Are they protesting their own flags, too? For this and uh, some other topics, we'd like to bring in Nigel Farage, one of our favorites, the former Brexit Party leader, uh, fresh off a tour of the United States. Mr. Farage, welcome back. Thanks so much for staying with us. How are you? Thank you. No, very well. But, uh, but absolutely appalled that we've got European soccer championships, we call it football, but I'll use soccer for an American audience, big championships going on with all the European nations, and the England team are now almost alone in taking the knee before each game. Now, the manager says it's about racial justice, but we all know that taking the knee is now absolutely linked with the Marxist Black Lives Matter movement. And what's been happening is the crowds have been booing. So uh, this isn't working at any level. And I really want, I really want, and I agree with you, you know, Copernic has ruined sport in many ways. I want people who play soccer to play soccer and not get involved in politics at all. Well, I love that they're booing, quite frankly. The Brits, you guys, it's, that's a fantastic and natural reaction. I'm sorry that's happening. Hey, look, I want to get your thoughts on Boris Johnson at the G7 and Joe Biden. Uh, Boris seemed tickled with Joe Biden. I'm not sure if this was done for political reasons or what, but take a look at this. It's wonderful to, to listen to the Biden administration and to, and to Joe Biden because on, uh, there's so much that they want to do together with us, uh, from security, NATO, uh, to, to climate change. And uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's a breath of fresh air, uh, a lot of things they want to do together. The breath of fresh air. Look, I thought Boris and uh, Donald Trump were, you know, kind of, no? Well, Boris is like a chameleon. 
He can change his colours to suit any circumstance, any weather. Uh, but to call, to call a man who's been on Capitol Hill for almost half a century, who was like a broken record, a breath of fresh air, was one of the worst comments I've ever heard from, from our British Prime Minister. Boris was elected as a Conservative and is now governing as a Green. He is obsessed with climate change, with carbon taxes, with carbon reduction, um, making uh, British consumers ultimately pay massive bills for all of this. Uh, and he and Biden had this great big love-in, as of course did Merkel and Macron and everybody. Uh, the truth of it is, all the money we're going to charge people for climate change, the Chinese are building two new coal-fired power stations every single week, and we're going to have to pay the price for this. It was mad. So look, don't trust Boris Johnson. He's not really a conservative. He cozied up to Biden. But by the way, Gray, I've got to tell you, Biden made no impression on the UK at all. He spent most of the conference grinning inanely, staring into the middle distance. I'm not sure he even knew he was in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> he did look rather dizzy and out of it, and there was plenty of gibberish. Uh, hey, one other thing, though, about Boris, and you're right, the climate change thing, and I thought this guy was, uh, you know, really was in touch with the working man. Here he is talking about gender and uh, infrastructure, and it's very, very odd. Cut two, please. We're building back better together, and, and building back greener, and building back fairer, and building back more equal and uh, how shall I, more, in, in, in a more gender neutral and perhaps like a more feminine way. How about that, apart from anything else? So uh, those are some of the objectives. In a more feminine way, is he being tongue in cheek? Is he, and how is this playing in the UK? No. No, I wish he was being a tongue-in-cheek. He sounds like a new age warrior. Um, and given that today is the summer solstice, I'm surprised he wasn't out this morning at, at, at dawn, you know, wearing some strange pagan uniform. I mean, what on earth is happening to Boris Johnson? I just don't know. It could be his new wife, Carrie. I don't know what the answer is. But this is not what he was elected as Conservative Prime Minister to do. And frankly... Most of that last statement, I would need an interpreter to work out what it really meant. It was very, very disappointing indeed. Well, he looks like he's uh, vulnerable. Listen, I don't think we've talked about this, but Nigel Farage, you're brilliant. Uh, former Brexit Party leader in touch with the people. How about you? Uh, are you considering a run? Uh, could you? Do you have to become a... How does it work over there? You have to become a member of parliament before you actually do it, so... Uh, is this something you're thinking about? Well, the problem... So the problem is this. You know, I led, I led two rebel parties. I won two national elections to the European Parliament. And arguably, arguably, I've changed the course of British history. But the problem with the Conservative Party, unlike the Republicans, is this. We don't have an open primary system. Donald Trump comes in as a New York real estate guy wins through the primaries, becomes the contender for the Republicans. We don't have that. We have the sort of old school, closed shop that doesn't allow anyone new in. So for me, to move on to the next stage is very, very difficult. But let, let, me, let me promise you, 
Whether I run or not, I'm going to be a proper irritant to them and I'll turn them back into being a proper Conservative Party. All right. Well, it's a win-win if, if, if that happens. And uh, I'd love to see you uh, as prime minister. I'd love to visit you at 10 Downing Street. That would be uh, that would be kind of mind-blowing. But uh, we'll see what happens. Nigel Farage, everybody follow him on Twitter, by the way. Fantastic content. Nigel underscore Farage at Nigel underscore Farage. Many thanks, sir, to be continued. If you've had it with the old news... And the same spent... Well, then Spicer & Company's your place... For the inside story. And for the facts that you need to know. All I can say is, is that the, the fake news just doesn't, doesn't get, get it, it do <laughs> You know who does get it? The American people. Some of them are great. They are just standing up and they are pushing back against all this nonsense, especially when it comes to critical race theory and the extremism of Black Lives Matter. You've seen these women at school board meetings and all kinds of forums. Uh, up until now, I haven't seen too many kids involved, but this young lady was absolutely fantastic. She's just nine years old, and she thinks that Black Lives Matter propaganda is being shoved down their throats at school, and she doesn't like it. See here again. The other day I was walking down the hallway at Lakeview Elementary School to give a teacher a retiring gift. I looked up onto the wall and saw a BLM poster and an Amanda Gorman poster. In case you don't know who that chick is, she's some girl who did a poem at Biden's so-called inauguration. I was so mad. I was told two weeks ago at this very meeting spot, no politics in school. I believed what you said at this meeting. So at lunch, I went up to my principal to tell him about the BLM poster and that I wanted it down. He said it's not coming down. I was like, yeah, it is, because the school board said on May 25th, no BLM or politics in school. He said, that's weird. They were the, one who, they were the ones who made them. I was stunned. When I was here two weeks ago, you told us to report any BLM in our schools. Apparently, you know they're in our schools because you made the signs. I said there should be no BLM in schools, period. It does not matter the color you make the posters and the font you use. We all understand the meaning. It is a political message about getting rid of police officers, rioting, burning buildings down while King Governor Welch just sits on his throne and watches. We all know. Changing the font or the color of posters does not change the meaning. I am nine years old and I know that. You expect me to believe that you did not know what you were doing by making these posters? Come on, people. I do not judge people by the color of their skin. I, I don't really care what color their hair, skin, or eyes is. I judge by the content or the way they treat me. MLK said, I have a dream that one day my four little children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That dream has come true. I do not care or look at the color of skin, but you make me think of it. I have Asian, Mexican, white, Chinese, black friends, and I don't care. I like them because some of them make me laugh, some are sweet and kind, sporty, or share the love of God. They are just my friends. You have lied to me, and I am very disappointed in all of you. You cannot even follow your own rules. If you're going to do that, why do we follow any rules we deemed unfit or ridiculous? I'm not following your mask rule anymore, then. Get the posters out of our schools. Courage is contagious, so be courageous. It's awesome, right? Totally awesome. Wow. 
from Lakeview, Minnesota. We don't have her name, but imagine this. She was born in what, 2012. Amazing, all right? Uh, there's hope. There's so much hope. Uh, there is a lot of ridiculousness around, too. President Obama, happy Juneteenth. It is good to see you. Happy Juneteenth to you. Uh, give me a break. It's nonsense. We should have... We could have had a national education campaign about this, but they're just using this as a wedge issue, and somehow they think it will embarrass Trump and enhance Democrats. Anyway, it's already winding its way onto the political campaign trail. We've got a mayor's race here in New York right now. Two candidates who actually oppose each other decided to join forces, and Andrew Yang and Catherine Garcia were out there on the campaign trail over the weekend. Kind of unusual. They're both running for the same job, but they're campaigning together. Well, guess who took offense? Eric Adams uh, happens to be African-American. This happened on Saturday, June 19th, and he think that, thinks this was an affront to uh, his race. Countries and actions are about symbols. On June 19th, that is when they did that. While we were celebrating liberation and freedom from enslavement, they sent the message, and I thought it was the wrong message to send. In a year where Black Lives Matter marches, where people are talking about inequality, where people are talking about how do we lift up black and brown people in the city as well as all New Yorkers, that was their symbol on June 19th, on the federal ho holiday that was put in place. So I have a problem with that. Again, he has a problem with this. An Asian man and a woman campaigning on June 19th. The election is on Tuesday. June 19th was Saturday. He's trying to use this to say you should have stayed home with three days to go before the election. That doesn't make sense. And let's be real here. Juneteenth uh, has not been revered or mentioned by really much of anybody until basically last week. Isn't that right, President Obama? Where were you on your first Juneteenth as president back in 2009? I want to express my appreciation for the opportunity to tell jokes that uh, weren't funny enough for me to use when we did this five weeks ago. <laughs> Whatever. He's cracking jokes and, uh, you know, it was all about him like it usually was. Juneteenth became a thing much later when it could be used to accentuate the political power of the left. All right, got to talk about this now. Bob Woodward, who is like a hero journalist to the fake news. They love this guy. Believe me, he is one deceitful character. Woo, do not trust him. Certainly don't trust his books. I know for a fact this guy has lied up and down for all of his life. But if you do that, you get rewarded big time. He actually changed the game. Back in 1974, he came out with that book along with his partner Bernstein, all the President's Men, and then it became a movie. And then Robert Redford actually played him in a movie. And I think it was Dustin Hoffman who played Carl Bernstein in the movie. This is heady stuff. And there are now millions and millions and millions of dollars to be made if you're a journalist, if you're a little bit lucky, and you're not afraid to uh, embellish a little bit. And these guys embellished a lot. That tradition goes on. All right, so there's a new book coming out. It's about the 2020 campaign. It's called, Frankly, We Did Win This Election, The Inside Story of How Trump Lost by Michael C. Bender. Well, I got a problem with this book. Let's go to the one of the offending passages. He talks about President 
Trump's comments about Charlottesville. Back at Trump Tower in New York, two days later, Trump had a news conference scheduled to discuss about Charlottesville. He again blamed the counter-protesters. You had some very bad people in that group, but you also had very fine people on both sides, Trump said. And that's it. That's it for that portion of the Charlottesville conversation. Now, you know, and I know, that there's more to the story. If you take that quote and you don't play what or write what happened right after you're being dishonest. Now, the implication is that he is saying that neo-Nazis and skinheads and white supremacists are fine people. He's not saying that. In fact, out loud, he said that those people should be condemned, didn't he? You also had people that were very fine people on both sides. And you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? And the press has treated them absolutely unfairly. So now we have people, many fine people, who still believe, thanks to the fake news, thanks to this guy Bender and all of his friends in the fake news, that the president was somehow praising and calling neo-Nazis nice people, very fine people. It's not true. And they lie about it every single day. And that had a cumulative effect, I think. And it was very bad for the country. I'll be right back. It's our America. We built it. Courage. Freedom. Millions go to Newsmax when they need to know. Start today on the free Newsmax app. Newsmax is real news for real people. About a year ago, we had some of the worst looting this city has ever seen, New York City. It was happening all across the country. Uh, but take a look at this. And why am I showing this to you now? Well, we have word over the weekend that of all the hundreds of rioters and looters who were arrested, the charges are being dropped. Charges against hundreds of New York City rioters and looters have been dropped. A political decision by prosecutors here in New York uh, I think it's wrong, and I think my next guest may agree. He is Roman Kusiev. He came from Russia back when he was nine years old to New York City, became a very successful hairdresser. He owns three salons, the Roman K Salon, and one of them was totally trashed by rioters and protesters last year. Uh, he worked so hard on this. Now, I'm happy to report that I think the business is back and up and running, but... Uh, Roman Kusiev, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? How are you? Thank you, Greg, for having me. You bet, you bet. So uh, how do you feel when you hear that these looters will, you know, all is forgiven, charges drop, no big deal? I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, it's hard as a small business uh, to uh, get back to, you know, reality after pandemic. But uh, knowing that, you know, the laws in the city are made for criminals and not for hardworking citizens. It's kind of disturbing. How much damage was done? Now, you have three locations. For those who know New York, we got the Flatiron, we got the Upper East Side, and the Tribeca location. I understand the Tribeca location was hit hard. How much damage did they do? Give us an estimate, if you could. Well, it was around fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. You know, products, shelves, stations, um, and everything takes time to uh, to get repaired as well. And you know, my worry was to you know get up and running, and you know, for my employees to get back to work. 
Awful stuff, awful stuff. But every, I'm sorry, I didn't catch the end. Everybody is back and in business once again. Yes, we're back in business, thank God. All right, so uh, are you better prepared for next time? Are you anticipating a next time? Because let's face it, the streets of New York aren't quite the same. There's an edginess out there that we didn't have a year and a half ago. No, definitely not. Uh, I mean, until the laws start changing to favor, you know, citizens and, you know, really to put away these criminals that, you know, they get processed for two hours and they're back on the streets doing damage. Uh, this is not going to change. I, you know, it's only a matter of time this happens again. Well, I can I say so. I can say firsthand because I've been there once or twice. Your salon does a great job. And everybody should go, if they're in New York, the Roman K Salon, three locations in Manhattan, started by our friend Roman, Russian immigrant, came to this country at the age of nine. I know uh, things have been kind of ugly here, but no regrets for coming to America, right? Absolutely not. Greatest country in the world. We're glad you're here, Roman. Uh, thank you very much, and all the best thank to you your staff. Kevin. You bet. You bet. Thank you very much, you bet. Thank you. Uh, it's wild, though. All those uh, rioters, looters, no charges, uh, all's forgiven. Yet this guy, the horns guy, is still in jail. Do you realize that? Now, I saw him. I thought he was a bit of a jerk, quite frankly, making a fool out of himself and a spectacle. And I wanted them arrested, sure. But I figured he'd be out by now on bail or something. No, he's still in custody. His name, by the way, is Jacob Chansley. We're joined now by his attorney, Albert Watkins. Welcome back, sir. How are you? Thank you. A real pleasure. Listen, I, I don't get it. Why is he still in federal custody? He didn't hurt anybody and he didn't break anything. Well, not only did he not hurt anybody and not break anything, but we provided the government. The government is aware of the evidence that we have showing, demonstrating that he assisted police. He was peacefully, didn't hurt anybody or hurt anything. Assisted the police in garnering stolen stolen shields or protective equipment back to the police. He thwarted a theft while he was in the Capitol. He said a prayer. He helped evacuate the building when the president asked him to. This is a guy who has been consistently misrepresented by the government to not just the court, but to the American public. We have to all acknowledge he is a, he's the face of January 6th because of his costume, because of his horns, because of the fact that he's bare chested in January, in the middle of winter in DC. And the fact is, you know and I know, the real truth of how our nation navigates January 6th won't be everyone looking back at January 6th and the largely peaceful events on that day. It's going to be how we look back and see how we treated our citizens those who are peaceful, those who are not violent. And in the case of Jacob Chansley, this man has had to spend 150 plus days in solitary confinement, 23, 24 hours a day. This despite the fact the government knows and has known since January 17 or 16 when my client voluntarily surrendered himself he was no danger to himself or anyone. Well, sir, this seems like authoritarianism that we're up against. I want to show your client without the makeup. I think we have a picture. This might be his mugshot. He has apologized, and uh, I think he gave a very contrite, sincere statement. And this is insane. 
this is totally yeah. insane. How do we get this guy out? I mean, what's next? And, and well, we're, we're actually. We're I, I got to. I'm sorry. I got to go in about ten seconds. I'm so sorry. I'm over. How do? What's next? How do you get this guy out? We're in front of the judge. Coming soon. You're going to hear from me. You read what's in the court record. It's a matter of public record. You'll all understand why the judge is not going to be happy with the government. All right. We'll be watching Albert Watkins. And do me a favor. Give yeah. my best to your client. I don't like what he did, but Thank he shouldn't you. be going through what he's going through. Thank you. We'll be right back. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You bet. All right. Grant Stinchfield is standing by for a preview of The Grant Show. Grant. All right, Greg. You, you know, we're talking about immigrants. I know on your show, on our show, there's a place called the Darien Gap, Greg, between Colombia and Panama. It's one of the most rugged, dangerous, violent places on earth. Joe Biden has these migrants moving through the Darien Gap. We've got pictures of what these people go through, uh, the, the injuries. It's insane. We're going to have a live report from Panama on the program tonight. Live report from Panama. Very cool. Grant, thanks, and uh, have a good one. We'll be right back. I support a woman's right to choose. I support it's a constitutional right. I've supported it. I will continue to support it. And I will, in fact, move as president to see, too, that the Congress legislates that that is the law. What are your particular plans to protect women's reproductive rights in the U.S.? The only thing, the only responsible response to that would be to pass legislation making Roe the law of the land. That's what I would do. Well, Joe Biden, that's a problem. I'm not one to judge or shame, but uh, you do say you are a Christian and a practicing Catholic, and what you are advocating is against church teachings. Joe Biden insists uh, that he will receive communion wherever he goes. It's not that clear anymore. Pope Francis, he's met Joe Biden several times, but Pope Francis has become, believe it or not, something of a controversial figure uh, in a way, even in the church. His liberal policies, well, a lot of folks here in America, especially Catholic church leadership in this country, not necessarily comfortable with the direction he is moving the Catholic church in. Is Joe Biden eligible to receive communion? This is a big topic, and uh, American bishops are tackling it right now. We're joined now by the Archbishop of San Francisco, Salvatore Cordiglione. Welcome, sir. And Bill Donahue, president of the Catholic League, uh, America's largest Catholic civil rights organization founded all the way back in 1973. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Good to see you again. How, how's everybody? Thank you. Thank you. Doing well. So Joe Biden, first of all, and first to you, Archbishop, given what he just said, is he eligible to receive communion? And perhaps before you uh, answer that, can you tell us a little bit about what communion is for those who may not know? Yes, for Catholics, the belief in the Holy Communion, what we call the, the Holy Eucharist, is it's, it's really the core Catholic belief. Uh, in the Protestant uh, consideration of it, usually it means table fellowship. But for Catholics, it's much more than that. It's the bread and wine actually become the body and blood of Christ. He's substantially present under the appearances of bread and wine. To receive Holy Communion is he makes a sacrifice historical sacrifice in Calvary present to us in the here and now through the sacrament. So to join that sacrament means dying with Christ, which means dying to what is sinful, selfish in us. So one must be in a, what we say a state of grace, free of any serious sin, in order to receive communion and be properly disposed. With all that in mind, uh, given 
Joe Biden's, it's not just pro-choice, it seems like a pro-abortion opinion, given the teachings of the church as you understand them, and uh, is he eligible to receive communion? Well, the bishops are going to issue this document on Eucharistic coherence, a term that we get from a document that was written by the Latin American bishops in 2007 that uses that term, and says specifically that uh, government leaders and healthcare professionals who participate in any kind of serious evil, and it explicitly mentions abortion and euthanasia, are not properly disposed to receive communion. There has to be a coherence between the way they live and receiving communion. One of the lead authors of that document was the Archbishop of Buenos Aires at the time, Jorge Bergoglio, who's now Pope Francis. So I want to make this very clear. This is nothing that's out of line with Pope Francis. He's obviously a believing Catholic, and this is standard Catholic doctrine. So we were uh, encouraged by the head of the Vatican's doctrine office, Cardinal Ladaria, to follow guidance in a letter that his predecessor, Cardinal Ratzinger, later Pope Benedict XVI, when he was the head of that office, uh, to follow the guidance he gave us in a letter way back in 2004, which was, first conversations have to take place. It has to be this dialogue to help the person understand the evil that they're helping to perpetrate and move them to a, a change of heart. And if that, uh, after many attempts, proves to be fruitless and it looks like it will continue to be, then the person not, must not be admitted to the communion. All right. That process has to take place first. President Biden responded to what's in development right now. And then, Bill, I'd like to get you to comment, please. Uh, this is uh, President Biden on Friday, I believe. The Catholic bishops are moving on this resolution that would pre pre prevent you and, and others who've um, supported abortion from receiving communion. Are you concerned about the rift in the Catholic Church, and how do you feel personally about that? That's a private matter, and I don't think that's going to happen. Thank you. A uh, private matter, and that's not going to happen. I have seen him before, Bill, mention, almost brag about how well he knows the Pope, and that's been his answer before. Your thoughts, please. Well, don't forget, he always carries rosaries, right? So that, that makes him, uh, obviously, a, a Catholic in good standing. Uh, look, I'm less concerned about him than I am the 59 uh, Catholic Democrats. They call themselves Catholic, self-identified Catholic Democrats, who came out, represented by uh, Rosa DeLora, uh, and they basically are lecturing the bishops. They've been lectured to a lot lately, and they deserve better. They're good men. And you have one of the greatest bishops in the United States on your show tonight. And they don't need this. All right, they're coming out there, these 59 Catholic Democrats, and they're telling them that the bishops are wrong, that we believe in life, we believe in helping kids and having full access to education and the like. It's risible. You take a look at the voting record of these 59 Catholic Democrats, and particularly of Rosa DeLora, who's the one who's leading the charge. She always leads the charge. You couldn't get people who are more enthusiastic about abortion than these 59 Democrats. As a matter of fact, they vote in favor of uh, partial birth abortion. Uh, they're in favor of the Equality Act, which would arguably close Catholic hospitals, which they, if they don't perform abortions, uh, they'd go after Catholic doctors who can perform sex reassignment surgery and make them do it. No conscience rights uh, respected. They're against school choice. How in the world are the poor black kids and, and Hispanic kids supposed to rise up if they're confined to public schools that no, nobody in his right mind would send his kids to? I worked in Spanish Harlem. Catholic kids back in the 70s, and I saw the great work that's done by Catholic schools. Now, these people are in open rebellion against the Catholic Church's teachings on core moral issues. It's not for the Catholic League to decide what the bishops should do. 
We're here to defend them, and we're going to continue to fight back against the, 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 the bishop bashers, of which there's quite a few of them in this country today. Bishop bashers. I, uh, I did not know, and uh, that, I don't like that. Archbishop uh, Cordelioni, <laughs> I don't want to see that happen. All right, I don't want to go to the extreme here, but um, I haven't heard about this in a while. Apparently, it is a uh, measure that could be taken. Excommunication, where you kick somebody out of the church. Given what we know about Joe Biden, given his positions, uh, forget about communion for a moment. Is that something he should be worried about? Or in another era, would that be considered, Archbishop? It has happened in uh, relatively recent past. I've uh, cited the well-known example of Archbishop Rummel in New Orleans, who this is the early 1960s, so this was in the civil rights moment. Uh, he was uh, he developed a plan to integrate his Catholic schools in the Archdiocese of New Orleans. Three prominent, three Catholics prominent in political life were opposing him on that plan, and he actually did excommunicate them. So there is a precedent, but nobody's talking about excommunication. Excommunication is is a penalty. It's a canonical penalty, unlike uh, the. Uh, Declaring someone not to be admitted to communion is not a canonical penalty. It's a declaration of a fact that they're not properly disposed. An excommunication is a penalty. It deprives one of all, all rights, privileges, titles, and jurisdiction in the church. And there's a very defined process of that, that has to be followed. Right. But no one has been talking about excommunication. When is the letter going to actually be finalized and issued? The plan is November. It's, there's a very long vetting consultation process that takes place between now and then, the final product should be ready in November, and then we debate and vote on it then. So whatever sins Joe Biden uh, may or may not have committed, or anybody, anybody may have committed, there is salvation available, isn't there? Uh, Bill, you're a practicing Catholic for a long time. I'll let you take that one, please. Listen, the Catholic Church is very compassionate, but it has strictures. It's like any other organization. You couldn't play Little League unless you had rules and regulations. Catholic Church is not an oppressive institution it's, it's, it's actually an organization which probably has more rules and is less willing to enforce a number of them. If you want to look for oppression, go to your local college campus. The Catholic Church gets this rap all the time. Look, we have, we have norms like any institution, and the bishops have a right to enforce them. It's a voluntary organization. If you find them too restrictive, there's always a door, isn't there? All right. Yes. All right. But yeah. I'm going to ask the archbishop, and i only got a couple of seconds left. There is a way forward for the worst among us, isn't there, Archbishop? Absolutely. Salvation is always possible. Reconciliation to God, we have a sacrament for that, too. The door is always open to well people in who are truly repentant and want to follow the way of the Lord. We'll be following this. Thank you very much. Salvatore Cordiglione, Archbishop of San Francisco, and Bill Donahue, President of the Catholic League. Thank you both once again. Thank you so much. All right, take Thank care. Thank you. We'll be right back. Look at these numbers, huh? This is happening all across the country, of course. Crime exploding, but it's really bad here in New York. These are bad, bad numbers. We've got a bad scene. And it looks like the city is prepared to give it over to a new mayor who might make the situation even worse. It's possible. Tomorrow is actually election day here in New York. Folks, I want to make a recommendation. Uh, there's a brilliant book out there. It's called The Last Days of New York, A Reporter's True Tale by Seth Barron. Uh, brilliant account of how this happened and uh, 
maybe it'll start a conversation about how we can stop something like this from happening again. Have a good one. Stand by for Stinch, and I'll see you tomorrow.